0: Are so many amazing perks of being sober. And one of my favorites is that sobriety allows us to take self-care to the next level. And it gives us such a sense of confidence. There's really nothing like feeling confident in your own skin. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about today's sponsor one skin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy while looking and feeling your best. I've told you about how, when I got sober, one of my favorite things was starting a skincare routine because that was not something I ever prioritized before, but let's be honest, knowing what the best skincare routine is can be a little overwhelming. That's why I'm excited about OneSkin. There's no complicated routine, no multiple step protocols, just simple scientifically validated solutions. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code happiest at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code happiest. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support my show and tell them I sent you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in our lives. And when we get sober, they can almost feel magnified at first because we're adjusting to feeling all our feelings again, rather than using alcohol to numb them. I was honestly really surprised when I got sober at how many emotions came up for me. I remember literally saying, I have so many feelings right now. And it felt really overwhelming having to feel them all. But the great thing about that is that it gave me the clarity and awareness that I had some things to work through, like people pleasing and like my own self-talk. That's where therapy can be so helpful because it's a safe space to get things off your chest and begin to work through what's been weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. What I really love about BetterHelp is that it's entirely online. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire, and you'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime with no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com/happiest today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp hel happiest Hello everyone. Welcome to Happiest Sober Podcast. I hope you're all having an awesome week. How in the hell are we in October already? That is absolutely insane. But I have such a good episode for you today. and bringing you a new guest. Today we're chatting with Matt from the Sober Friends podcast. And oh my god, I loved getting to chat with Matt. I went on his podcast um, not too long ago. That episode came out, I think a month or two ago. Um, but he is just such a pleasure to chat with. He's he's just such a nice guy with like such a kind heart who just genuinely really wants to help people and just has so much wisdom to offer. He's a 12-stepper, which is always really fun for me to chat with 12-steppers because that wasn't um, the the journey that I took. And I, it's fun to talk to people who have different experiences um, than you. So he just has so many good things to say in this chat. We're going to get to hear his story and just all of his super valuable advice on maintaining sobriety because he's coming up on 10 years so soon, which is unbelievable. So I'm excited to share this episode with with you today. And with that being said, I won't make you wait any longer to hear it. So here is my chat with Matt. That rhymes. <laughs> hey, Matt, how are you?
1: Madeline, how are you? It's nice to see you again.
0: So nice to see you again. It's been what, like a, mu- a month since we chatted since I came on your podcast. Two.
1: Something About- like that.
0: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The summer flew by.
1: Yeah. I just remember I insulted Toronto and I felt like you got your nose all out of joint. <laughs> I wasn't few- even trying.
0: You did what? You said something about New York being better. I think did was that it? It
1: was like it was like uh, New York is like a city like nothing you've ever seen or something like that. And you said, right. but, but I'm from Toronto and Toronto's great too. <laughs> I wasn't where, even trying to impugn from. Toronto. <laughs> Toronto's a bucket list town for me. I would love to visit Toronto. Oh, you've never been? No, I've never been.
0: Oh, you have to! You have to come. Um, remind me where you are?
1: I'm in South Windsor, Connecticut, just just outside of Hartford, and okay. Hartford's like the worst city ever. It's like it shuts down at 5 p.m. Everybody goes off to this. It's just it's a dumpy town. It's not well run. There are a whole bunch of these old mill and brass cities between New York and Boston. And they go up through the middle of New England, Springfield, Hartford, Bridgeport, New Haven. And a lot of these cities had a history as mill towns, factory towns. And when the factories went away, there was nothing to replace it. So they're just kind of. Very depressed places. So Hartford is like this black hole in the middle, but everything around it is really cool, like the suburbs and stuff. Really, you're
0: around it.
1: Yes, and New Haven's great because Yale is there. If Yale wasn't there, New Haven would just be another black hole of of nothingness. (laughs) You know what?
0: I had not up until this year. I had not explored. Much of the states at all, like I'd only been to the kind of the states that I could like drive to over the border, um, minus Florida when I was little to go to Disney. So I finally kind of started exploring, exploring more of the states this summer. So that was fun. Yes,
1: yeah, steer steer clear of Detroit. That's another okay. close by city. Like it
0: is close to me. I have yeah. been. <laughs> it's
1: not so hot, so there are better places to go. But like, but you've got like Buffalo and Detroit, and if mm-hmm. those are the only cities that you go to in the United States, what what a not the best reflection. They're you know just...
0: what? I go to your favorite quite often. <laughs> I go to New York a lot. NYC. Glows nice for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I
1: was an intern there in New York. I had a lot of drunken days in
0: okay. New York City. You know what? I... It's a great
1: place if you're drunk.
0: I never went drunk. I never went in my drinking days, funny enough. I went last time I had gone, I was like 15 and I had never drank and I didn't go back until it was my first, act- actually, it was my first sober trip. I went back to New York. So I've only done it sober.
1: It's also a great place to be sober. I mean, there's just so much to do in New York.
0: Mm, Yeah. Oh my God. I loved it. I need to, I need to go back for sure. I went a few times this year, but, um, oh my gosh. So how long have you been sober for?
1: Since March of 2014. So I guess we're coming up on 10 years.
0: That your 10 years is coming up quickly, like six months, less than six months until your, your 10 years.
1: I still feel new. I still feel like all the grizzled old timers who were in meetings when I got there are still the grizzled old timers and I have a lot to learn. And then I start thinking about that time. I'm like, oh my God, that's like nine years. I would have looked at somebody with nine years when I came in as how did you do it? You must have this great wisdom. And a lot of times I just don't feel any wiser. I just feel like I did a few things right and I've been able to stay sober. But I I really don't feel – I don't feel like I have a lot of time. I still feel really new.
0: To me, that's a lot of time. But I remember being like in my first month in a meeting and hearing someone like, I'm at four months. And that one stuck out to me. And then four months became a big goal in my head because I remember being like, oh, my God, four months. Like that's so much time. If I could get there, like that would be so good. So it's always – any I think anyone who has more time than you, you always kind of feel like you can learn from.
1: Oh yeah. But then I see people who are younger than me and they have like sponsees and stuff. And I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, good for them. Look at the things that they're doing. And it never really was to me about, it got to a certain point where it wasn't about the time because I looked at people who had less time than me and I saw things that they were doing. And I was just really impressed that they mm. had gotten their stuff. And you could see like, cause I thought I was going to be the last person ever to get sober. And I was always going to be the youngest person. And then I see some people come in and they're at a real low. And then you see like a year later, it's like, oh my gosh, they've got their life put together. They've got a sponsee. I don't have that. Wow, this thing does really work. And you see yourself through other people as they grow. That's my favorite thing. I love new people. People have less sobriety than me. I love that more.
0: And because it is true, like when you're earlier in it, I mean, like when I look back on my first year like you have to like i was obsessed with sobriety in my Mm -hmm. first year because you kind of have to be it's like you're like shifting it's it becomes such a big goal and it's a hard thing to do that like it becomes this all-consuming thing so it is kind of like inspiring to watch people in that and watch what kind of changes they make in that phase that's a really good point and i like that way of looking at it
1: and the first year felt like the longest period of time ever yeah. It just felt like it was going to take forever to get there. And then after it, time just flew by. Mm. And I look, I'm like, wow, I knew nothing in my first year. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> and now it just it just kind of rolls through. It's not as much of an, an obsession. It's a, it's a way that I live my life. Yeah. Yeah, if you're brand new and you're listening to this, and you're like, oh my gosh, how am I ever going to get to nine years or 10 years or even four months? This is where... A, a 12 step saying of day to time comes in mm-hmm. just get through the day just get through yeah. the next next couple of minutes get to the end of this podcast and give yourself a commitment not to drink that's all so you need true. to do
0: so true um oh my gosh well take can you take me back and like share a little bit about your drinking days and like what what led you to the decision to get sober
1: yeah I, I came from a family of alcoholics my father I found was an alcoholic. He beat my mom. My stepfather was emotionally abusive. He drank a lot. My mom drank a lot. I had relatives who drank a lot. So I wasn't going to be an alcoholic. That was the worst thing you could say about somebody. So I wasn't going to be that. And yet I ended up drinking to fit in. I had to do whatever it was to fit in, whether in high school or college, because I wasn't going to find a girl and I wasn't going to be popular and find friends unless I went out to the bar. So I'd say drank alcoholically from the jump. I remember as a teenager seeing one bottle of beer out and thinking, who would drink one bottle of beer? What would even be the point? And I was still in high school at the time. So I had a problem there. I went to school, spent a bunch of money on booze, almost got thrown out of school. But my own force of will got me to stay. I still was drinking but I adjusted things and I was on academic probation and you had to go to this meeting with the Christian brother and the Christian brother stood up there and said, you got to get a two O to stay. You know, many, some of you will get to that. You might even get to like a two, two or two, three. And I looked at that guy and I looked around and I'm like, I don't belong here. This is not where I should be. I'm going to get on the Dean's list. And I missed the dean's list the rest of the way by like 0.1 on my grade point average. The rest of the way I had, I I learned a few things. I'm going to go to class. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to do the reading. I'm going to go to study groups. And for the first time in my life, I actually applied myself to something. And I, I made that my obsession. I got into exercise. I started jogging. It was to the point where I was exercising. My friends would drive down the street and see me. And they would ask, "Oh, do you like need a ride or something?" Because it was so foreign that I might be doing something just to get exercise. am like, "No, I'm I'm exercising. I'm good." And that kind of told me something. Wow, I must be like really doughy or something, where they would think I'm not doing that. I ended up uh, in in the hospital at with alcohol poisoning, mm. and I looked at that. I'm like, "Wow, that's a good thing." I'm like, "I'm well known now. Like people know me as the guy who almost died in the hospital <laughs> when that should have been." The, I, I look back and, and see all this stuff that, like, I don't have that low bottom, but I know a lot of people who had alcohol use disorder who didn't end up in the hospital. Right. I did, and I continued on for another 20 years or so. So, out of college, I did a lot of just drinking by myself. You couldn't call me an alcoholic if you didn't see me. So, I moved into Connecticut. I took a job where I got paid terribly, I had terrible hours. And I'm generally shy. I'm generally introverted. It can be difficult for me to feel my own weight to get to know people. So I just stayed in my apartment and I would just drink cases of beer. And it was always a fight of, I'm going to have so much alcohol, but then I have to stop because after that point, I'm going to be an alcoholic. Like I can have maybe two beers tonight. If I go to three or four, that's the road to alcoholism. So if I'm going to drink... I better not go over that. I heard of somebody who was, uh, a friend's father was drinking non-alcoholic beer somewhere. And I asked, why is he drinking non-alcoholic beer? And they said, well, he had heart surgery. So you have a heart attack or you have a coronary bypass. I heard that you can't drink alcohol anymore. So I didn't want to have any heart problems because the idea of me not drinking would be terrible. That was my fear Mm -hmm. with heart trouble of not being able to drink. That should tell you I had a big problem because normal drinkers don't think that way. So I'm kind of jumping all over the place. I got married. I found a new job. I started having kids. And no one ever really told me, you have a problem. You should stop. I always felt guilty drinking. And I could hold it together being out. Like I could have one beer with dinner because people are around and maybe I have to drive and I could do that. And it helped me feel like I don't really have a problem, but I had terrible pain on the inside. If I stopped at one beer, the only way I can describe it is it was as though I was wearing a wool sweater on the inside of my body. It just, it hurt. Mm. And I would just try and get through to get home so I can finish the job at home. And then I didn't have to worry about what people would say. A lot of times I waited till my wife went to sleep and then I'd pull out some scotch and I would have that. So at the end, I learned how to get like a box of wine and I would refill my cup, but I would just do it in front of everybody. It would be conspicuous and I would just fill it up and I just wouldn't, I wouldn't hide it because it's the hiding that draws people's attention. If you're very conspicuous in what you're doing, People don't notice. And if you just keep topping off your cup before it's gone, you've only had one drink. Mm. Meanwhile, I've like drank the equivalent of a bottle and nobody knew it. That type of mindset is not what normal drinkers think about. That was really, sometimes I think like it's not as progressive as I think. And then I think back to I was drinking scotch, I was drinking whiskey, and I was drinking boxed wine. And I just was topping off glasses so people wouldn't notice. That's a real problem. I was really going to a bad place.
0: Right. I always find it so fascinating to chat with people who also come from families with alcoholism because for me as well, like it played such a part in how I felt about my drinking. Like it's so funny hearing you say, like you really believed, like, cause you didn't want to be that you believe that an alcoholic is the worst thing anyone could ever call you. And I remember kind of playing the same game of like kind of imposing those rules on ourselves. Like I, I, I would never drink alone because I was like, Oh, if I drink alone, that means I have a problem and I didn't want to do that. And even like, Kind of using things that my mom told me, uh, like oh, one sign of alcoholism is if you have a big personality change when you drink, and I latched onto that because I didn't have a personality change. Like I was a pretty good natured <laughs> drunk, did. so like didn't have much of an off switch. But I was like, oh, but I'm fun, so it's okay. Like it's it's kind of funny how we can fool ourselves. But yeah, how do you think? Like you said, you were you were very conflicted about your drinking inside. Like how do you Always. think? Your family kind of played a role in how your drinking felt to you.
1: I saw the way people who are in my family drank. Mm -hmm. I definitely started drinking the way they did. I drank alone the way my stepfather drank. I could see that I had learned those things. So I think there's a genetic component, but I also think there is that learned behavior because I had in laws, my stepfather's family, who they drank alcoholically. And there was also when all these people that you're always around are drinking heavily, it's easy to see that as normal. And also to see that it's manly. It's what the cool guys do. It's if you have a nationality that's German, I had some German ancestry mixed in there. This is what we do because we're German men. And this is, you know, this is a lot of times it was It was also we were drinking good quality stuff. So I'm a beer connoisseur. I'm a wine connoisseur.
0: Right.
1: You know, alcoholics drink pop-off. They drink Mr. Boston. They drink out of a paper bag. Well, I didn't. I could tell you some of the regions in France that had some of the best wines. And I didn't drink Bud Light. I drank Spottin' or I drank Blue Moon. Now, the reason I drank the really good beers was because if I drank Bud Light, I'd drink too much. I didn't really taste it. It was easy to go down, and it was light in the alcohol. So I would drink Blue Moon or something with a higher alcohol and more taste because I felt like it would slow me down. I will tell you a great sign of alcoholism is I learned that, oh gosh, what is the dark Guinness? So I learned that Guinness was actually a really low alcohol beer. Is that? I always thought it was high. It's low.
0: Oh, I would have thought Way so. Low. I never drank beer. Beer wasn't my thing, so I would have thought it was high too.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, that's good because beer makes you bloated and gives you a big old belly, which is no <laughs> good. It's full of carbs. You might as well just eat a loaf of bread. <laughs> I drank Guinness out because it had a full flavor and I could have a few and not feel like I'm going to get a DUI. And that was one of those things I'd look and see what is, where can I balance out its high alcohol, but that'll make me drink less. Or it's something like Guinness that I could drink that has this flavor that feels biting, but it doesn't really have a lot of alcohol with it. This is a lot of mental unrest of constantly being out. And thinking, do I want to drink? Do I not want to drink? I've had one beer. Do I want a second? If I have a second, am I going to get into trouble? If I space it out, can I have a third? What about drinking water in between? There was constant mental gymnastics every single time. And it's such a relief now, even to go to a restaurant or a bar and walk in and say, this is not going to be a thought in my mind. That, that, that is, that door is totally shut for me. So I have the mental energy for other people. And I look around and see people who are blasted. And I'm just like, oh my God, thank God it's not me. So there is this big fair. I don't know if like fairs, when I say fairs, there are these fairs in New England that are agricultural fairs. I don't know if you have them in Canada where you can go see the biggest up. Or here's the <laughs> here's the award ribbon cow or okay. this goat has is a blue ribbon goat or whatever. But we have a lot of those. And there's this one in a permanent fairground that's very big. It's called the Biggie. And it is you could spend all day walking around. There's rides. There's a midway. There's food, fair food and that type of stuff. But there is beer and there is hard alcohol and there is wine there. And now the cannabis is somewhat legal. We walked around there and it's just like one cloud of cannabis after another. Mm. And I look at these people, everybody's holding a beer. And I'm like, I don't have to deal with that. I was talking to somebody today who's also sober. And I said, you know, one of the great things we never talk about, about not being drunk. I used to have to pee all the time.
0: (laughs) seriously though it's true especially as a girl like the girls washroom lineup is always so long yeah oh my god yeah, that's a great perk.
1: And like somewhere like, like a fair is like, those are the most disgusting bathrooms on the oh, planet. Yeah, But it's like, you can't go five minutes. You've got to space yourself out of where's the bathroom going to be. Because once I go to the bathroom, I'm going to be peeing every five minutes. We
0: break the seal. Yeah, Yeah. break the, you know, break the seal. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> oh God, I thought that was just something I knew. Yeah, I, I would hold, 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 hold. Because once I break the seal, I was going to have to pee. And I hear people say, you know, you don't have a hangover or this happens. And I think it's worth an Instagram post. You know, what the best part of being sober, not having to pee so much,
0: not having true. to pee
1: all night.
0: It's true. Especially if you're at like a concert or something, like you're yes. not like missing the show to go line up for the bathroom. So good. And oh my God. Yeah. The mental gymnastics, like you said that so well, because it really is, it's like, the whole kind of moderation game, if you're going to be out and trying to drink in moderation, it's like that is so much more mentally exhausting than just not having any. And like like having one or two and being like, oh, I kind of want to have another. Wishing other people would drink more if you want to. Just like all the shit that comes along with it. It's such freedom to just take it off the table.
1: These fairs have places called beer gardens. Like how am I not going to be drawn to a beer garden with these beers from the best beer in Vermont, the best beer in New Hampshire, or something that's a local brew. I've got to try all of that because it's a special occasion. And because I'm imbibing, I must not be an alcoholic because this is a special occasion. When in reality, right. I'm going to walk around a parking lot just so I can be drunk. And it yeah. is so freeing not to have that as an issue. Like I can buy extra food. It's like, okay, I can take that money and I can buy another steak sandwich maybe. And still yeah. pay less than I was yeah, doing so before.
0: Too. Yeah, and yeah, seeing the drunk people walking around the fair and just being able to be glad, like, thank God, that's not me anymore. Yes, that's such a good feeling.
1: Oh my, oh my God, they're making fools of themselves. Did I do that? Yeah. Probably.
0: Oh my God, but it, it is it. Oh, it's always a great moment of gratitude when you see that. Um, I'm curious to come to because you had mentioned like you never hit any sort of like external rock bottom like what kind of brought you to the decision to get sober like what made you ready to do it
1: In the back of my mind I was always worried I had a problem
0: mm-hmm. because
1: I'd read health books and I tried to I tried to talk myself out of it saying some of the health books have gotten really ridiculous where they're saying you're drinking two or three beers a day that's the sign of a problem because it's only two or three beers well, that's what, like three, times, like 21 beers a week. That's a lot. So they were right. And I took these online tests that I failed no matter how I tried to score this. And it was just always a thought in my head all the time. And I had periods where I could stop, but I wasn't telling people I was stopping because I had a problem. And I get the most I got to was 10 months, but I was doing that's this all great. on my own. I will tell you, once I started drinking, I couldn't stop again. I got to that 10 months. I figured I can have this beer one day and I'll do another 10 months. And I couldn't, it was hard to get back into it. So I was watching a show called switch to birth. And one of the main characters was a recovering alcoholic and she was sliding in her behavior. She met this new guy. He was a bartender. She was doing things she shouldn't have. And he finally passes her a glass of wine And she lifts it up and you can see in her face that she's doing the wrong thing. And once she drinks it, her face changes. And I looked at that and I said, that is me. Mm -hmm. I can identify with everything she feels. I am anxious about what she's doing. And I understand that relief once it's done. I have a problem. And not only do I have an alcohol problem, for the first time in my life, I looked and said, alcohol is the least of my problems. If I want to stop drinking, I have to change who I am. Because alcohol is a problem, but it's the smallest part. And I just remember my whole body feeling like it was in flames. I wanted to drink more than any time I wanted in my life. It was was almost like once I decided I had a problem, my body was ready to rebel. No, we're going to make this as hard as possible. And I just white-knuckled it for a while. And I didn't even tell anyone. I had a therapist. I was afraid to tell him because he was going to tell me one of two things that were unacceptable. He was going to tell me no. And that would make me feel foolish. Or he was going to say yes. And I really was an alcoholic and this would have been bad. And then he told me neither. He just asked some questions and he goes, okay, this is something you got to decide for yourself. Why don't you go to a meeting? And I don't think I'm not going to any meetings. That wasn't in the game plan at all. Cause a meeting is where, old men who are homeless sit in the basement of a church with an incandescent light bulb swinging around and they go there because they have nowhere else to go where all hope is lost. And he said, well, why don't you just go? What's the worst that happens? It's go- I go, it's going to be uncomfortable. He goes, yeah, it is going to be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but go just see what you see, what you feel. And it was hard. It was hard to go to a 12 step meeting. I went by myself. I had to tell my wife I had a problem. That was because she wasn't asking about it. So I had to say, you know, I have this health problem. I think I have alcoholism. And she was very helpful. She's like, yeah, I I don't think you stood a chance with your family background. So I got dressed up to go to a beginner's meeting because I'm I'm very analytical. I look through a book and like hey, there's there's closed meetings, there's open meetings, there's big book meetings, there's beginners meetings. That's where I meet, I don't know, the board of directors or something. The people who, you know, go, um, help me through the orientation process. That's what it must be. So I dressed up in slacks, a nice button down. And that was not what the meeting was. Just say I was overdressed is an understatement. <laughs> it was in this not so great part of East Hartford where it was between sober houses. So the, the people who lived in sober houses went there because it was easy to go. Everybody talked about how they're constantly relapsing. And I just was horrified. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, this is not where I should be. And everything I heard terrified me. But I got my big book there. I went to another one because they were nice to me. So for the first time in my life, there were people who I didn't know who came up to me to see how I'm doing. Mm. They asked me questions. They introduced me to people. This was a foreign thing for me. And yeah. I just thought, wow, the AA people are just so nice. And it took me a couple of years to realize, no, I was sort of, uh, lack of a better term, a mark. I was somebody that they were helping because they had been there too. When I say a mark, it was it was purposeful. It was purposeful because right. they knew I was the new guy and helping the new guy is something that you do. I just thought I had some type of shimmering personality. But no, it just turns out I was a new guy and this helps them stay sober. But it was something that made me come back. I found a men's meeting that I was terrified to go to because again, every meeting was terrifying and it was in a big church. And I think I walked through a gymnasium where there was a game. I went through the wrong entrance and I heard some noises. So I went into that room. It must be the AA. It must be the AA meeting. And it was a Boy Scout meeting. And they all just kind of looked at me Now, I didn't know what to say. I wasn't going to ask where the AA meeting was because I figured they'd call the police. Like, this guy is looking for an AA meeting and he's busted up a Boy Scout meeting. So I just looked at them and I just turned around and walked without saying anything. And I heard some voices that it sounded like a party or something. And I'm like, okay, it seems like this is the only other place that it would be, but this can't be it because it sounds happy. Mm -hmm. And it turned out it was the AA meeting. There was like 50 guys in there. And it was like... I don't know, like before a rotary meeting or something or uh, some get together, but everybody was happy. And there were people who looked like they had their life together. They didn't look like the alcoholic I thought, I thought an alcoholic was. These were people who were put together. They were dressed nicely. There were people who, there were, there were all types of people there. But again, they brought me in. They, I, I had new guy written all over my head. And somebody up front had something like 36 years sober at the time, an older guy. And he said that I could have two beers and I could stop and I didn't have to drink every day. But if I had two beers, I was miserable. And I heard that and I'm like, that is my story. He might be much older than me, but that's how I felt. Because I heard some stories around you know, I was bleeding from my eyes. I was bleeding from my ass. I was bleeding from my ears. And I literally fell into the emergency room or they carted me in, in a coma. That wasn't me. And I started to feel like I didn't deserve to be there mm-hmm. because I didn't have that story. Yeah. I had to be bleeding from every hole to earn my spot there. And it never occurred to me. Why do you have to wait? Why can't you get it in time?
0: Yes.
1: And that's really what's important to me a lot. My long story is a way of going around saying, you don't have to wait until you're in a coma. You don't have to wait until you lose everything. If you feel like you have a problem, nothing bad happened. Nobody goes to like out and said, I went to that work gathering and they arrested me. I wasn't drinking I mean, unless you're a total sociopath in the way you behave. (laughs) Nobody goes to a work party sober and gets arrested.
0: Yeah, right?
1: So what's the worst that could happen?
0: So good. That is so, so good. And so, like, just powerfully said. And just, like, listening to you talk about, like, the meetings, like, what a testament to just the power of community and connection. Oh, absolutely.
1: I didn't want to go last Monday because it was, it was pouring. It has just been raining here, like nonstop. And it was pouring and I was tired. And they were, and when I got there and I saw that there was like only one car, I'm like, oh my God, it might just be me and one other person. And it was small, but they asked me to give out chips. And I gave a six month chip. The person who sat next to me had been sober for two weeks. And that's where I'm like, okay, I needed to be here. Not because I need the help, but because I need to be the message that I would want to hear if I'm a two-week sober.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it helps us in our own sobriety, too, mm-hmm. to help other people. Like, it's such an accountability tool to then connect with other sober people, to help people who are more new than us. Um. Oh, so good. And when do you think so you you mentioned like at first, you really kind of white knuckled it in the beginning and you didn't want to tell people like, how did kind of your early sobriety go, and when did that when did that start to shift?
1: Oh, this is such a good question because I was waiting for when the desire to drink would cease. Mm. I kept hearing that and and it just it wasn't there. Like I drive by my favorite liquor stores and like I wanted to go in and I had to have two hands on the wheel pulling the other direction. And I think it probably was about six months in, I walked into a meeting and I'm like, I've got an amazing announcement. All right, what is it? I went by the liquor store and I didn't want to go in. I've never had that feeling before. I think I'm there. And it took a good six months. Mm -hmm. And that is something I try to really tell people who are getting sober It's not like, it's not like AI. I I found these AI tools where I could type in a script and I could give it 60 seconds of audio and I could recreate voices just like that. Sobriety is not like that. It's not like an AI. It's not chat GPT. It doesn't come instantly. It takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And I don't relapse because I don't want to go back to zero. In that misery of stopping for the first time, it's painful. It's like you start exercise after a long time and you walk in the next day, you wake up and every muscle hurts. It's like, oh, when I was exercising, this wasn't the case. And I got to go through the muscle soreness phase. Yeah. I don't want to go through that muscle soreness phase again. It's just easier. Yeah. It's just easier not to. And just continue doing what I'm doing. Like podcasting is the thing. That is one of those things that, you know, if I know I'm going to be on your podcast today, I can't be drunk. Right. I'm going to make you look like a fool. I'm going to be a fool. That is a level of accountability that if I'm out in the public square, I have to walk the walk. So that's an extra level of accountability for me. And if people reach out, I've got to be a good steward and help them.
0: Yeah, so true. And for something I'm so curious to chat with you about, because we kind of talked about it a little bit when I was on your podcast, but being like a sober parent, Mm -hmm. how has that been for you? And how does that, how does that kind of change what kind of dad you are?
1: I didn't realize it until a couple of years in that the kids started behaving differently with them. They were always mom's kids. And I think to some level, they're always going to be mom's kids. There's a lot of them. They just gravitate towards mom. My nine-year-old always, like, if I go out for a dog walk, they'll let me go alone. If mom goes for a dog walk, they're going with her. I noticed a few years in that they changed how they worked with me, that they wanted to do, they came up to me wanting to do stuff with me. And it was small things at first but I found that the kids were more attracted to me at times. They sought me out and I worked at being present for them. At first I thought I got sobered for them because I didn't want them to be alcoholics and somebody said that's that's a bunch of BS, which hurt my feelings at the time, but it was true. If I'm going to be a good steward for them and a good parent, I got to do this stuff for me first and get my acting gear, and then they'll see the good behaviors. But being a sober parent, I'm very open with them. We talk about it a lot. Mm-hmm. My 15-year-old son said, I'm never going to drink or do drugs. And I'm like, oh, you're, you're a wonderful boy for saying that, but that's not something you can promise right now. Right. But God bless you. I will say the kids now have it a little easier because I have seen, the. he tells me about the, the, the stoners in school, They're kind of outcasts like the people who are always drunk and are stoned. They're kind of like people look down their nose at them.
0: Huh? I think the younger generation is drinking less, even like Gen Z, like the generation after me even are drinking less, which is so cool to see.
1: I wish that that my generation, it was like it felt like it was the bottom. Mm -hmm. I'm a Gen Xer and it feels like we were drunk all the time. Like if you I had a buzz like on, you're not enough.
0: We were too. <laughs> I think I think my generation's the same. I feel like it's it's just changing now, kind of.
1: My son is really health conscious. Okay. So he is constantly looking at food and his macros and he's he's insane. I, I was all doughy when I was a kid. And he is like zero percent body fat and rippling with muscle and athletic. And he he probably would stay away from this stuff just for the health benefits
0: right and there's even more information about that now yeah like when i started drinking i never it was never even on my radar ever like that it was unhealthy for me aside from just knowing like oh haha sorry to my liver this weekend like right. i knew it wasn't good for my liver but otherwise i wasn't really thinking about it i don't think it was, even that aspect of it was being talked about in the way it is today
1: i was thinking about getting fat i don't want to get fat and i want to grow out of my pants. That was about the only health thing back then. Although at the end, I did start to think, I wonder if this is doing liver damage. And so that's that's something that started to, to come into my head. And I have some fatty liver issues that I am going to have to work at with diet and exercise. Even years later, a few years back, they said, oh, you kind of have a fatty liver. You need to do this and this. I'm like, well, I, maybe I didn't fully... Maybe I fully didn't catch it, but my last uh, lab work came back and it was like the best lab work I've ever had in my life. Like numbers yeah. that are, n- have never been as low as they have been like, okay, doing something good here.
0: Yeah. Sobriety. So yeah. Good. So good. And tell me about how and why you got started on um, your podcast. When did that come to be?
1: So I had a podcast before this
0: mm-hmm. where
1: I was doing a fan show of another podcast and I, had all of this equipment that I purchased and I got really passionate about it, but it was in kind of like a toxic world that in the end I realized, I don't think this is healthy for me. And so I gave that up, built up this audience and I walked away from it. And so I had the equipment, I gave it some thought and I always had the idea of a sober podcast in the back of my head. I listened to the recovered podcast because it was like back in 2014 was the only sober podcast I could find. And so that was my kind of inspiration. I'm like, well, if Mark can do this, I, I think I can do it too. And I thought this would be very easy. And I had a pretty good audience before. This would be very easy to do because there's not much out there. Well, lo and behold, there's a lot of podcasting now in sobriety. And I think that's a great, great thing. Like your story. I think that you of where you are at your age there has to be people who can reach women who are Gen Z. There has to be something that can reach old men. There are like gay AA podcasts. Mm -hmm. There need to be those so that you can narrowly identify with your group to stay sober. So I, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to do this. It's the, it's the pandemic and we're going to share some stories and it, it, I was going to do interviews at first and then I had trouble getting people to come on and I, it just, it it changed into kind of just like a lot of what you're doing, which is just having a coffee and having a conversation with somebody. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it's a conversation that you as the listener feel you're overhearing right. and you get something. and. I just, once I decided to do it, I decided I'm just not going to quit this. I will say, if you're an aspiring podcaster, here is the best advice I could give you. If you're going to decide to do this, don't stop. It may take you 100, 200, 300 episodes. You may not see the gains immediately, but it's much like sobriety of like, you have to keep doing it and working at it. You will not be Joe Rogan overnight. But, you know, in this space, you won't be Joe Rogan, but you might change a life. Mm. There are things that you can do and you'll get that letter every once in a while that somebody said, I heard this, this and this, and it really helped me. And then I look back and say, I don't remember saying that at all. I don't remember what you're talking about at all, but thank you so much. So I think that answers it. I had the equipment. I had this other need and it was always in the back of my head. I think I can do this.
0: I love that. Oh, I love what you said there. Even just like, yeah, needing needing all the sober podcasts, we need all the different representations so that someone yes. can find somebody that they identify with. Um, it's, so, it's so important and it's so good to see how much it's growing. And yeah, I love just like how good to hear from somebody that – you said something that was helpful for them. I always find um like podcasting is interesting because you have to listen back to yourself. And I feel like it's something that can trigger so much like self-criticism in me. And sometimes I'll be like, oh my God, this episode's garbage. I don't even want to put it out. <laughs> and then I I always am just like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ever listen to that thought. I'm just gonna put it out into the world. And then sometimes that's the one that I get someone like, oh my God, that's exactly what I need to hear. And just like that makes it worth it. I'm like, okay, if it was just for that person, then like, that's great.
1: There are some people that I have on or a topic that I think I I wasn't feeling it. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones that do the best numbers. Or I'll go in and say, you know, this was like the best. And then it does nothing. And there are times (laughs) I look at the numbers. I'm like, I can't explain why this doesn't seem to be doing very well right now. Or why has this blown up? Like, why is my day after higher than my day of, which doesn't generally happen. Like the highest, the highest, this is some good inside podcasting baseball. Like <laughs> when you drop an episode, that's usually your best day of the week. And then there are some days that's like two days later is my best day of the week. And like, why, why so is that where a lot of people are listening? I didn't drop anything.
0: So funny. I know podcasting is a, it's a whole, it's a whole world, but
1: it's its own drug.
0: Yeah. But it's, it is, it's so fun. It's so fun seeing more and more popping up and getting Like, I just love getting to have these conversations. It's so fun. It's so fun to get to connect with people from all over and hear all the different stories.
1: That's what I love too. So I love like, we would have no reason to talk. You're in Toronto. You're, You're pretty far away. I'm in New England. We'd have and, and you're you're a different age than me. You're you're much younger than me. I feel like everybody's much younger than me. <laughs> Yet it shows you that regardless of your age or your gender, who you are, if you have an alcohol problem, you have plenty to talk about.
0: It's that, it is an instant connection. Like I feel like you can meet anyone who's sober and you have an instant bond and you have like such this common thing that you can talk about and relate on. Yeah, no matter what your demographic is.
1: Right. You, the 76-year-old man is somebody that you can invite over to dinner and you have plenty to talk about. You shouldn't, 100%. but you do because that's all because their insides are the same as your insides. Mm-hmm. That's all that counts.
0: So true. Um How would you say so now, like you're coming up on 10 years, which is crazy. And when you kind of look back at like your life as a drinker and coming up to 10 years of sobriety, like how, how has it changed your life?
1: I look back and say, I didn't need this. All the things that I wanted in life of connecting with people or, you know, meeting that girl or being popular or feeling that I could hold my own weight when drinking in the end, the alcohol set me back. Mm-hmm. I can have these conversations now with people and feel my own weight, but also feel comfortable if I'm feeling shy of saying, okay, I'm feeling shy. I'm, I'm just going to kind of hang out. I don't have, I, all the things I was looking for with alcohol, I have found removing the alcohol. And it wasn't just the removing of the alcohol is I learned some things about me and I have new tools in place that fill the hole that alcohol had. It's like what I learned is this spackle that I put over the wall that I could fill that hole that I don't just have to keep pouring something, some liquid down it to fix the problem. And I think it's more about I can be comfortable with me and I can learn to be average. That's the thing. I always wanted to be way above average because if I was excellent, then I could feel normal. If I'm average, it's okay. Hmm. I've learned to listen to other people. If I'm uncomfortable talking to somebody, I strike up a conversation and ask them questions and I get them talking about them and I can listen to them. They can do the work for me. That's, that's my optimal state.
0: I love it. I love that. And yeah, just even just like the, the growth that comes from it and the realization, like exactly what you said that you drank because you wanted to feel confident. You wanted to feel good about yourself. You wanted to be this like excellent, larger than life personality and realizing it really, it really does set you back. Like all the reasons that you want to drink, alcohol actually is hindering all of those right. things. It's preventing us from getting them. And when we get sober, that's when we get to actually do the work and then really tap into those things within ourselves for real. Yeah,
1: and life gets better.
0: Mm-hmm. So much better. So mm-hmm. much better. What are some of the tools you mentioned? You had like tools once you once you removed alcohol. What were some of the ones? So you went to AA meetings. Like what else? Yeah, twelve stepper.
1: So the twelve mm-hmm. step stuff is, I will tell you, even if you're not somebody who is a twelve stepper, taking a thumb thumbing through the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous is helpful. Step four and step five were big deals for me. Of writing down writing down character defects is a way of writing down of these are the stupid things I did. Here's why I did them and really realizing I am gripped by fear. I'm I'm afraid of everything. Mm. And I did these things because I was so fearful and doing that of realizing this is who I am. This is why I did it was so helpful. Now that comes up, but I start to realize it step eight, nine, and 10 of the whole idea of making an amends. This, if you're a Catholic boy like me, this is really going to confession. And this is also when you do something stupid and you hurt somebody's feelings, say you're sorry. And go over and say, you know, don't say, I'm sorry if you were hurt by this. Just go over and say, I am so sorry I hurt your feelings and that makes me feel bad and then stop talking. But having that feeling, if, if I've done something wrong, I got to go make it right. And there are times something like that feels like an opportunity of, Oh, I have to go to that person and make it right. But also by doing that, I can check the box that I have made an amends and I'm doing something towards my recovery. There was all this money I had. I realized I had these, medical bills that were killing my, my credit rating. And I didn't realize they were there until I looked at the credit report. And I had, I think I dropped several thousand dollars in one day and I didn't like draining my savings account. But as I'm paying this, I'm realizing, okay, I'm helping with my credit, but this is an amends too, that I'm checking the box off. I'm doing something for my recovery because I'm paying the bill that I owe. And I'm constantly thinking through Is this something that I can give myself credit for for my recovery? Yes. And those are the things that help me. I am, I used to love having resentments and being and holding a grudge. And it's hard to let those things go. Uh, We have a mutual friend who will come to me with, uh, we love to luxuriate in some of our grievances and stuff, but it helps me to tell her, you got to not feel this way. I know you have to feel like you have every right to be upset and you do and the person did you wrong, but you have an alcohol problem and you can't. It's not a case of whether you're justified or not. It's a case of what are you learning from this and how do you let it go no matter what? Because you, you can't, if you have an alcohol problem, you can't hold on to resentment. It is the p- quickest path to picking up another drink. So sorry to be a wet blanket. This is what you have to think through. And that makes me feel better when I can help somebody else.
0: Mm -hmm. I really like that mindset of, you know, even like checking off, paying a debt of being like, oh, this is something towards my recovery. Like that's a really nice kind of mindset shift to have about like anything that we do, for ourselves that we, our drinking selves probably would have avoided doing or not done. Oh, yeah. We can just, it's just, for me, it just comes back to that sense of pride and sobriety. It's like feeling proud of yourself for getting sober and then being able to do things like that to like really take care of ourselves and, you know, stay on top of things that we wouldn't have been able to do. And that, that feeds into being able to feel good about yourself, like (laughs) being able to feel good about yourself and about your life and that you're doing what you need to do.
1: Somebody's somebody – I don't know who said this, but I, I read something where somebody said, if you want to build your self-confidence, do the things you said you're going to do.
0: Mm, and that is so a confidence good. builder, paying yeah. your bills. Yeah. I did what
1: I said I was going to do. I feel better about me.
0: Yeah. I heard someone say in a meeting one time – um esteemable acts build self-esteem. Yep. And that one, that one really, really stuck with me. Cause that like, I heard that in a sobriety meeting early on and I was like, Oh my God, even like little things. I was like, I get ready for bed now at night. <laughs> like that, that builds self-esteem, just like doing basic things. Um,
1: making the bed in the morning.
0: Yeah. Right. Little things like that. Little things. Yeah. Uh, the little things are the big things they really are. So good. Um, okay, what would you say to somebody who's listening who is maybe in their early days or maybe they're just struggling with their relationship with alcohol and they're considering getting sober? Um, what What kind of advice would you give to that person?
1: Have a support system.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Don't do this alone. What is wonderful today is there's so many support systems out there. For me, it's 12 steps. By no means is the are the 12 steps... The be all and end all nowadays. I still think it's the, the, um, oh gosh, what's the term for it? It's the, uh, golden something or other. It's the, it's the gold standard. But there are things that are out there. What comes to mind is there's like smart recovery, there's recovery, uh, recovery elevator has its own program. There's so much, there's Patreon groups, there's you just being on Instagram and, and interacting with people. If you have nothing there, if you in, if you interact with somebody who's somewhat good on Instagram and has good sobriety, they'll reach back out, or somebody else in the comments will reach out to you. I I do it all the time when I see somebody's in pain. Find somebody. If if you know AA is not your thing, the only the only criteria for membership is a desire to stop drinking. You could go to an AA meeting just to hang out and meet new people. Nobody's gonna say, well, you're doing it wrong because you're not doing the steps. You can go to a meeting and meet some people. I think this is especially true if you're a woman. I go to a lot of meetings and there's like only a handful of women. So it's special in my mind, gearing this towards what can we do to help women come in? Because it just feels like it's a tougher on ramp. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're a woman, find another woman that you can talk to, even if it's some you know, 80-year-old woman who's sober or a family member, find somebody who can go through this with you, you are more likely to be successful. It's that feeling of alone that is going to guide you back to a drink. Mm,
0: So good. So well said. And so true. There are so many options now. Like there's so many different options. You can find things on Instagram. You can find people. And so true about like even AA meetings, you don't have to, identify as an alcoholic even you don't have to work the 12 steps if you want to just go there as a means to at least make some sober connections um you know i find it interesting you said that you felt like oh i don't belong here like i'm yeah. not earlier on i'm not i'm not as bad as that person and i think it's so easy to do that i was actually just talking to my mom about that the other day about how we can we can feel almost like imposters sometimes in sobriety and it's like yes all you need to be here is a desire to not drink anymore. You don't have to meet some criteria of bad enough to be there.
1: So your mom's badass. I'm jealous of the mom that you have <laughs> and the fact that she was just waiting there, waiting for you because I didn't have that. And I didn't have the same relationship mm-hmm. with my mom, but man, you are so lucky to have your mom. And as but far you as I'm what? concerned, your mom's badass.
0: Oh, she, she is, but you know what? Now you're that for your kids. Yeah. And your kids are so lucky to have you.
1: Yeah, that terrifies me, though. I see my bad behaviors in them and their obsessions. Like my son is like he's an alcoholic with the gym. Like right. he's got to go for an hour and a half after track practice, after running up and down hills, he still has to go to the gym for an hour and a half and lift weights every single day. And he'll come as like Jim, gym, 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 gym. And it's good because he drags me there but I see that obsession coming out in those ways and it terrifies me Mm. and it terrifies me that I can't control it.
0: Right. I got to let it go. I remember you said that when I, when I was on your podcast and I'm like, don't it's, it, you know, my mom raised my sisters and I and had so many open conversations about alcohol Two out of three of us are sober now, but it's like, to me, it's a gift. Like I'm so grateful. I'm grateful that I had the struggles that I have with alcohol because I love my sober life now. I think it's the coolest bond to have with my mom. Um, so hopefully that brings you a little bit of comfort. They'll be okay. And you'll be the safe space to, for them to go to if they ever need.
1: No, I hope so. I hope it doesn't happen, but if it's the case, I hope I can be like your mom.
0: Yeah, you will be, you will be. I have no doubt. Um, Oh, this was so fun! This oh, was I'm so glad you liked so so good. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Such a fun chat. Um, tell everyone where where they can find you, follow you, listen to your podcast. Anything you want to promote?
1: Sure, it's the Sober Friends Podcast. You can find me on Instagram at Sober Friends Pod. On all the social channels, it's all the same at Sober Friends Pod. You can find me on the website, Sober Friends Pod. .com. So if you can remember Sober Friends Pod, you can find me somewhere and oh, you know, reach out. Uh, I'll always get back out to you unless you're a troll <laughs> and then I'll block you.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> Thank you so, so, so much for coming on, Matt. This is so awesome.
1: Oh, you're welcome.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to give Matt a follow on everything. Go listen to his podcast. I'll link everything in the show notes below. If you enjoyed this episode, then feel free to share it with a friend or share it on social media. Rate, review, subscribe. Follow me on Instagram at happiestsober and you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter at happiestsober.com. New episodes come out every Tuesday, so I'll chat with you next week. I hope you have an amazing week. Remember that life's happiest when you're sober. Bye. Addiction impacts
1: all of us, addictions, consequences run through all of us from ourselves to our loved ones and to our communities. Addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery.